0: Hello, everybody. Jace here. Quick message before we get to the main episode. Uh, You know, I try not to get too political on the show. Maybe if that's something that really interests the guests, we might get into a little bit of politics. But mostly we're here to just celebrate comics. But uh, I can't ignore what's going on in the world, specifically the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. So uh, on our Twitter pinned as the tweet is linked to UNICEF. Which is an organization that focuses on uh, areas of the world where there is a lot of strife, war going on. Specifically, they try to provide clean water, medical care, and other uh, essential needs specifically for children and families. So regardless of which side of the fence you're on, whether or not you believe that one side or the other is right or wrong, uh, we can all agree that children and their families shouldn't be suffering for the choices that their leaders are making. So please, if you have a few dollars, uh, every little bit helps. You can go to unicef.org, that's U-N-I-C-E-F dot and just look for the Ukraine appeal. Click there, or you can go to the Comic Source Twitter account, and the link is there for you to donate. So uh, again, appreciate the support, everybody, and uh, hope you're all being safe out there. Welcome to another episode of the comic source podcast welcoming friend of the show tim Sealy back to talk about all the projects he's uh he's finished he's got going on he's in the midst of and maybe he'll tease some upcoming stuff so tim great to see you man thanks for coming on
1: pleasure thanks for having me jake
0: yeah so uh we were just chatting a little bit before
1: we uh, got started
0: here about all the different stuff you have going on um i kind of want to touch on your zoop campaign first because really when you talk about you know something that you did in the past, this is really the, like the first creator-owned thing you ever really did. I didn't even know about it. I didn't even know about it. I, I'd never heard of it. I'd never read it. I'm looking forward to checking it out. It's called Love Bunny and Mr. Hell. Uh, and you wanted to do this kind of definitive deluxe uh, hardcover edition. So talk to us a little bit about the campaign and, and what the book's about.
1: Well, so the book, uh, when I was in college, um, I really was looking for something to do for my senior project because uh, in my college you know you could do whatever and I convinced my I went to a state school in Wisconsin but I convinced my illustration professor to let me do a superhero thing uh, comic book thing which was really an important part of this but I, I couldn't think of kind of an idea and I knew I didn't want to do something you know I was getting sick of superhero comics at the time like I was really you know this was like 96 97 so like you may know if you were been around superhero comics long enough that was not a great era for no uh, <laughs> I mean you had JLA which was Graham Morrison. So he had some good stuff, but like a lot of over serious stuff. So uh I was working at Burger King at the time and I just I don't remember exactly how, but I was working on like making a burger, and all of a sudden was, this just two words came to my head. Love Bunny, Mr. Hell. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went home, I wrote it down, and I didn't know what it was about. Um, but then I I was a huge Tick fan, uh the, the comic series The Tick. And you know, it had been out of it'd been gone for a couple years by then. Uh and so I I just decided I was going to do something, a funny superhero thing. So I did this thing in college. Uh, I took it, I used it to get my internship at Marvel. Uh, but the stuff I had done was never quite sticking with me. Uh, because the original version of love money was like really sexy. Like it was, it was 20 year old, 21 year old, horny, sexy, like, you know, it was, it was, she had like a ridiculous leather strap costume bunny ears, but like this thing. Uh, so I, I took the first issue, uh, to, um, uh, Minneapolis Falcon and I showed it around and I, I remember I showed it to Frank Cho and like all these people who were pretty new then. Mm-hmm. Uh and he liked it and he thought that it was good but Xander Cannon so I was like no this is not the right version of this costume wouldn't it be funnier if she was like a cute cheerleader and he was a big demon and I, and I was like well that's it and I finally figured it out. So uh that was the the version that it needed to be so I started over again. Um and so I done that comic um I did several versions of number one. Uh, I worked with a guy named Brendan Hay on one version. He became the one of the writers on The Daily Show. He's now the head writer on uh, the Gremlins TV show. Uh, so, uh, but the the version that eventually came out through Devil's Due, you know, was my first like full drawn, c- complete. I did everything. I lettered it. I did everything. Um, and then my second issue of that came out through Image. So my second comic ever was an Image comic. Uh, and then the third one was the crossover Savage Dragon. So Uh, And then, you know, it was never a big hit, but I always loved it. And uh, it's a comedic superhero thing. The basic story is that uh, this woman is a former sidekick. She's like a Robin. Uh, She was a a sidekick called Kid Caliber. Uh, And uh, she wants to go on her own, but she's kind of like a sort of vapid, self-obsessed kind of ditz kind of. And she decides to become her own uh, superhero in a world in in which superheroing is basically like freelancing as an artist. Like (laughs) you have to get called by the police to do jobs. And obviously, you know, the big jobs go to the bigger people. And so she's kind of bitter about it. And so she grabs a sidekick to boost her profile. But he's a demon from hell called Mr. Hell. And all he does is eat stuff. Uh, so <laughs> it's like a comedic, really weird comic. Um, and it was never hugely successful, but I always loved it. And, uh, you know, I used sort of the DNA of it to create Hackslash, essentially. Like I saw the people that liked Love Bunny, Mr. Hell, you know, were the weirdos they're my people but um it wasn't really commercially successful so i used like hot girl and monster and the sense of humor and the heart to become hackslash. so um but i've always loved it and so when zoop was asking you know if if i had anything i could do with them and they were kind of trying some new stuff out i was like i would love to have a nice version of this i know <laughs> it's not like you know we call it the unnecessarily fancy version because it's kind of a joke but but it is the the joke is just kind of like, you know, I don't know who's asking for this, but I always loved it. And I, I feel like it's a little bit ahead of its time, um, especially kind of with some of the themes and the attitudes. So maybe, you know, now bring it back and doing a really nice version. And I include everything I've ever done. So even those college pages, those are all in there. Everything is in there. Uh, so it's if you're a process junkie, you'll like it just to see, you know, how I got to this point. <laughs> and then. um, you know, if you're if you've ever liked the book, if you like Tax Slash, I think it'll be up your alley.
0: Yeah, well, I, that's what I wanted to kind of point out. I mean, you you've been around for so long now. You've done a lot of different stuff. Your your uh, kind of your portfolio is very diverse. But I, I I feel like you you do have people that follow you. Like I, I I'm one of them. You know, if if your name's on a book, I'm for sure going to check it out. Um, and I think based on the fact of how quickly this funded, like your people have showed up for it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, and uh, when I started doing this thing, you know, the other guy I knew who did stuff like me was this kid named Robert Kirkman, because uh, he was doing Battle Pope mm-hmm. and I was doing Love Bunny. And then he did, um, he was working on, um, uh, what was it called? It was it was like a wrestling comic he wanted to do called Beyond the Ring, I believe it was called. But like, so, you know, and I, his crew of people, like we all traded comics and met each other at shows. And then obviously he became fucking Robert Kirkman. Uh, <laughs> but like, I kept doing the thing that I do, um, you know, this, and, you know, obviously like I can do horror stuff or whatever, but I always wanted, to, I always like to do like cheeky, sarcastic, sweet, sexy stuff. That That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and so I, yeah, like there's not, a, it's not a million people, but there are people that have followed, you know, I mean, I definitely have people that have followed me since Love Money that I still see at shows and they have that first issue that you know the ones that we published that probably sold four thousand copies or something you know um and it has its fans i mean it definitely it's like one of those things if you know it you love it and if you've never heard of it you're with the majority of the planet right like it's just (laughs) but i feel like there's something to it there always has been something to it it's just you know uh it maybe if i'd done it later like around when Invincible came out or, you know, I don't know. Uh, there's always ifs, I guess, but, <clears throat> but I get a chance to sort of show everybody like I'm still proud of this thing, you know, and a lot of the the stuff that I would be hesitant to do now because I'm afraid because I know how things work. I was not afraid then. So <laughs> it's all in there. Like all this, just like stupidly bold, stupidly hilarious, like things that I would be like, no, you know, ashamed. Then I was not ashamed. I would just do it. So so it's all there.
0: Fantastic. Well, I can't wait to check it out. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, everybody. As I said, it's already fully funded. So you know it's one of these situations where you know for sure you're going to get it. That's not always the case with these uh, campaigns. If it doesn't fund, you don't get it. But if you bid, uh, if you pledge, you're for sure going get, to uh, get the book. So go and check it out. Uh, I think it's, it's very much, uh, it looks really interesting. Like I said, I, have, I haven't had a chance to check it out, but I, I'm looking forward to it. Because for me, I became a big fan of yours when you did Grayson. You know, speaking oh,
1: okay. of speaking so of yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Speaking of of you know sidekicks like uh, Love yeah. Bunny here, and uh, that kind of leads into the other project you have going on in DC right now, uh, other than Superman versus Lobo, which is the Robins, which won the the round robin contest, which is leaning into this idea of sidekicks. Uh, but it, it really hit me something you said there about kind of your style. You know, you go kind of sexy, cheeky, humorous. But there's always a lot of heart in your stuff, too. And certainly the Superman Lobo we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, so if anybody's not familiar about Robbins, give the elevator pitch real quick. And then I want to kind of dive into some of the themes that you, you're exploring.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, so Robbins is, you know, Batman, sidekick Robin. There have been many of them. And in our story, essentially, they're all drawn together uh, by this uh, a plot by a sort of you know secret villain who uh, we when we finally meet them may or may not be the first Robin, a character named Jenny Wren, uh, who's kind of manipulated and increasingly sort of manipulated this behind the scenes to get the Robin sort of off uh, the table and sort of make them believe that Batman has uh, ruined their lives, essentially like by making them Robins so that she can get revenge on Batman himself. And so it's the, uh, now it's where we are in this series four just came out. So um there's this the, one of the things the villain's able to do is kind of mess with what appears to be at first reality, and then you realize that it's a it's all this sort of technology that's a, like a virtual reality kind of um, what, what do they call this it? augmented reality game? Um, so the 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 Robins are essentially now taken into these lives that they would have lived if they weren't Robin, as Batman believes that to be. So uh, this this villain is kind of you know set them off into um, this question that I think everybody sort of has about Robins is, you know, what would they have been without Batman? And is it moral and ethical for Batman to make these kids a sidekick, which is a thing I've always hated. So, uh, so <laughs> my version of this is a, a, a sort of different take on it. Uh, and I think you'll really see it in issue five, like what this was all about. Cause I, I, you know, on purpose, I made this sort of a mystery uh, and you kind of have to figure things out as you, you realize a lot of things as the Robins do, you're only like one step ahead of them.
0: Yeah, uh, we got that kind of cliffhanger ending at four where we realized, uh, you know, Dick is uh, back to being kind of his, the spiral role. And I, I, I now uh, issue five, I think, doesn't come out until uh, March 15th, but I already had the press copy and I got, I've read it already. And yeah, I, I loved it because uh, you really got to go back to those spiral days of doing like kind of the swirly face. And was that fun to go back and revisit that stuff?
1: Yeah, I told I, I was I'd been talking to Tom. I was like, I got to think of a way. To bring in the Grayson stuff because that was my favorite superhero thing. You know, my favorite DC thing to write ever was was a uh, Grayson stuff, and and uh, I figured it out it was like you know that, and I I, I wanted to play it up more, but obviously it's hard to do it in monthly superhero comics. Where the Robins are in other places, but you know, there's sort of a moment where it's kind of like, well, the whole thing with spirals they mess with your brain. So is this really you know is is Dick still Grayson and he's still on this mission? And that's what he's not sure. of, You know. Mm-hmm kind of messes with with him but we got to use the sort of spiral stuff as a and the all these things were on purpose the technology being sort of similar to the spiral tech and all these things were chosen to do this so that i could mess with the character's brain but you know that that kind of question of is is dick really um did he go back to being nightwing or was he always Grayson and then he just had this weird dream and then uh we get to sort of mess with the them in that world like once they're in this sort of uh, augmented reality game that is created from Batman's notes about what they would be. Um, they have to kind of figure out the game from inside.
0: Yeah, and it's it, it's fascinating too because it seems like obviously I haven't read the final issue yet, but it seems like you know you, you were talking about you know the uh, issue one. They're sitting around a table and they're they're discussing. Hey, is this actually a good thing that we met this guy? That we're Robins that we're we're heroes would we have been better off like you were getting at uh, had they not been. Um, but it also really examines uh, in the beginning of the series, their, it focuses sort of on their differences, like how they're each of these is they're really an individual. They all have something obviously very in common that nobody else in the world will understand being the sidekick for this, you know, dark night. Um, but it really kind of focuses on their differences. And it's almost like you're, you're isolating them. But then towards the end of the story, I feel like – you kind of flip that on its head and they start realizing, Hey, maybe we are more alike than, than not. Was that a, was that a challenge to kind of, it's almost like you were tearing them down to build them back up. Is that,
1: is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. And it's weird to me that some of the way people reacted was like angry that I, it's like, don't you know how fucking stories work? <laughs> but, yeah. So obviously this was the point, obviously the the whole thing was to show you something about the character. So we had to split them apart and we had to show, I mean, one of my, if I have a complaint about sort of the way the Robbins histories have gone, and obviously this is just because of their monthly comics, there was no decision, obviously, why these people would be different. You have to kind of go back and read it all and sort of figure that out, right? So mm-hmm. like, obviously, you know, when people were working on these monthly books, they weren't like, here's the big plan of why Tim is different than, you know, than Tim Dick and all this. Sort of, it's just sort of happened organically. And in fact, in the beginning, if you go back to sort of the first appearance of Jason or they're he's just dick right he doesn't mm-hmm. have so it's so weird to me like that that people were sort of confused or angry about this but like that's how s- these things work and uh, part of the commentary was is, is, in this was that i think sometimes people play them too similar they should be more different mm-hmm. uh, and so i i really i i didn't make anything new but i leaned on the things that i thought were the most interesting and you know i, I think there's a certain amount of like let's say jason todd fans or something who are like no, Jason's super nice guy. And he's like, not tortured. Like, well, that's not interesting. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, so like, you know, I, I'm picking things that make them the most interesting in this scenario, which is that they're all together. Um, and, you know, I think I made the right calls cause it all comes together in the way that, that I thought it was supposed to, but I was kind of surprised that people were mad about like, a, it's just, I don't know. Some, sometimes the fans can be so weird and especially Robin fans, but uh, you know, like you say you read five so you you kind of start to see what we were trying to do mm-hmm. uh, and i you know it is of course we have to break them apart like that's you know that's how stories work <laughs> they have to you know like someone has to want something and then has to have something in their way like that's if they just have everything they want it's not a story it's just a list so uh you know the, i i'm i'm happy with the way it played and i think I was really uh, my editor, Andrew Marino, who kind of had sort of the initial nugget of wanting to do his team. And I had had a previous pitch for a Robbins group book uh, that kind of had this nugget. So like I kind of, you know, he had an initial idea and he let it me combine it with his. And, and so we made this thing, I think works, works pretty well, actually.
0: Yeah, I think it works really well. Cause here's, the, here's the other thing that struck me about it, right? Like you know, it won the contest and I think it won because, you know, Robins are really popular and people thought, okay, it's going to be this sort of kumbaya with all the Robins together because he, here's the phrase, right? The Batman family. These guys are part of the Batman family. Well, guess what? Families don't always get along. I don't always get along with my siblings. You know what I mean? Like certainly growing up, I definitely didn't get along with my siblings, um, but you grow and you mature and you learn lessons and, you know, you uh, become, have more life experience and, and you, you realize the things that you do have in common with them. It's the same thing that you're doing here.
1: Yeah, and part of the story had to be that the villain was taking advantage of those riffs, right? That Mm -hmm. she was trying to show them, and I don't want to ruin anything, but uh, that's that's her plot, right? Like, she's trying to, because there's this sense, I think most people have for what Robin is supposed to be, is that it's basically sort of this anchor to keep Batman from going too dark, which we play with here. Mm -hmm. But we reveal something new about what Batman wanted the Robins to be here. Uh, and we do it in issue five, so you've read it already. Yeah, but like you know, this is just me extrapolating on all this history. So, it, you know, it's fascinating to me to see people go like get angry about things that that are I didn't make up. They're in the story, <laughs> but uh, you know, just try to take advantage of those interesting things that haven't been tugged on before. Like there's so many threads, and it's all obviously accidental because there's tons of people coming in and putting in their thing, and that's the thing I love about superhero comics. So you know trying to make something with that was a challenge. And, in you know, the degree in which I'm successful, we'll see, but um, I do think like, you know, some people really overreacted to what they perceived I was doing, which was not at all what I was doing, but it, it is what it is, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, there is that one line um, in five uh, where it's kind of flipped that it kind of sums it all up, which won't yeah. spoil for everybody. And so I thought that was really great. And again, it goes back to what I was saying before about, the fact that you you put a lot of heart into the stuff that you do. Um, and also, so this week, everybody, actually, the day this is being released on Tuesday, uh, the third issue of Superman versus Lobo is, is hitting uh, comic shops as well. Now, this has got a lot of heart, but also the super kind of fun main man that Lobo is. It's almost like marrying your two loves together in a way putting Lobo and Superman uh, in a book together. So how's that experience been? Uh, And you have a collaborator, uh, a co-writer on the series as well, Sarah Beatty, right? Yep.
1: Yeah. So uh, Sarah was my co-writer on Money Shot and she's a good friend. And, uh, you know, when I originally came up with this idea, I was trying, I pitched it to um, DC and they were like, oh, we actually love Money Shot. We have copies at the office. And I was like, do you want me to bring Sarah along? And they (laughs) said, Oh, yeah, go ahead. And so then I dragged her in and she loves Lobo. And um, I like writing Lobo, but I don't love Lobo as a idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can get into why that is. But um, so I, she thinks he's the greatest. And so she said something which was, oh, Lobo's so fucking hot. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, uh, so that's why I was like, well, I have to work with Sarah on this, because then the main the sort of entry point character between these two is Doctor Flick, and so she has Sarah's personality, and a lot of the lines that Doctor Flick says came right out of Sarah's mouth.
0: Uh, I love Doctor Flick; she's awesome.
1: Yeah, she and she to me steals the book uh, because she's sort of, you know, she's the she's the reader. She's the one sort of in between both these things, and like seeing kind of the appeal of why people like Lobo and and you know why Superman endures, but why some people you know have this sort of view of Superman, like oh, he's too goody goody and she, and she has that sort of attitude and then you see why superman is the best superhero he's my favorite personally uh so you know i want to make a story about that like the you know this it's easy to like lobo cuz he sucks like you do right like mm-hmm. he's not, like superman is aspirational and and lobo lobo is all the worst shit about yourself and so you know i think superheroes should be aspirational um and 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 i you know i kind of I, I kind of hate it when uh, people expect superheroes to be crappy so that they can enjoy them. It's like, that's not how any of this works. That's, you know, that's, that's a different genre. That's not superheroes. That's like a horror character. That's a, you know, a crime character or something. Um, so, uh, so I got to put all my views on these things and in, into the series <laughs> for better for worse.
0: <laughs> well, no, I think it works really, really well because it is a good, it it is a, a good, um, representation of where we are, right? Like there's so, so many of our better angels right now that, that some of us are trying to appeal to, but then there's that other part that just wants to, it seems like, you know, be living with their head in the sand and just saying no, that's not the way it works. And kind of selfishly, um, you know, not, not thinking of anybody else. And uh, you really kind of embrace that even to the point in this book that you and Sarah, uh, I mean, in, in the first issue, we get a, a new social media, you know, like, uh, Lex Luthor's social media and, and Lobo uses that to kind of smear Superman and it's uh, I find that fascinating and you come back around to that at the end and I don't want to spoil it but Lo- Lobo does something at the end he he starts his own little project at the end and I yeah
1: I got a big so kick so out you, of read, you read three okay so yeah, yeah yeah oh man I'm so proud of three because then, and then again like some of the reactions were like I, I just feel like sometimes people don't know how stuff works or they think I'm an idiot but like of course all that thing was going to come back, right? Of course we were going to come back to the Lexer and, you know, this sort of, and Lex Luthor. I mean, we mentioned him in the first issue. So of course he's going to come back to this. And of course Batman is going to be in here again. Uh, So, you know, all that stuff was set up for what we were going to do in this final issue. But yeah, you can see exactly what we were trying to say. I think Um, and it's funny. Graham Morrison put out a thing like last week talking about Superman and, and I was like, "Oh shit! That's exactly what this series is about." Like, there's actually like some line for line shit that we inadvertently stole from Grant before, before you know, before he'd written. It. Um, but you know, I'm really happy with it. I think it's a, it's it's meant to be a satire. It's meant to be making fun of Lobo for sure, and then a whole bunch of other things. Um, and that's a Lobo comic. I mean, that's you know, going back to when I was not you know 17 years old reading Lobo books. They were a piss take, but they were a Generation X piss take you know, and like, that was nihilist. Like if you were, to, if you grew up in our generation, when you make fun of something, it was like, fuck everything. It sucks. It was like the South park model of humor. Right. Yeah. And uh, that's not how people think anymore. Uh, and you know, our generation is like, Lobo is antiquated essentially. Like the kids today, and I teach at a college. So I see these people, they don't think like that. And uh, so I, I, I was thinking about those sort of aspirational aspects and, And writing Lobo, and you know the kind of idea. I think like as much fun as Lobo is, you're not supposed to want to be Lobo. You should never want to be Lobo. You know his creators, Keith Giffen and Al Grant, would tell you, and Roger Silver would tell you, he was not meant to be aspirational. Yeah. (laughs) So so stop stop thinking he's the best. He's fun, yes, but he's a bad guy. He's the villain. That's we need to make sure that's true.
0: Yeah, in a way, he's what you were talking about earlier with the 90s not being the best. He's kind of uh, an example of that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we make fun of that in here because we show the Wildcats, right? And I love the Wildcats. But when Lobo goes to their universe, he's like, where were you guys my whole life? Like, this is what I wanted. This is what I thought (laughs) superheroes would be. You know, you strike first, you have spikes everywhere, and you're pissed off all the time. And everything's about revenge. And he's he's like, I'm stuck in this universe with this guy. Yeah, Uh, And so, yeah, there's you know, hopefully people sort of get it. I, I mean, maybe that's just the way I write it. Uh, it's, it goes against me, but I always try to like get in the end. <laughs> so this yeah, is, I, you know, all these things were on purpose and, you know, all the things we set up and the league of last sons, which we set up kind of early, you know, the super team created by Lobo of all the last sons and, you know, gem son of Saturn is on it. <laughs> yeah, gem, whatever your deal is. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah i i think it did work in the end and you know maybe maybe it's because much like yourself my favorite character is superman and and yeah i mean i think there's plenty of fun for lobo but in the end uh it's the heart and you know it ends on an upbeat note and god we could all use a little more of that these days for sure
1: yeah jesus you know and i think that like this book was supposed to come out last month so if it had come out last month i don't know you know like <laughs> it's just so weird i don't know we're gonna see it through a different lens because you know, clearly what it's about it may be hit differently now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: fair. Uh, well, another DC project that I mentioned that, uh, finished up, you did, uh, a King shark that was digital first. I didn't read it until it came out in print. So I think it was 12 chapters for digital first, but then it was six issues for, for print. Um, and it really fleshed out, uh, King Shark in a way that I don't think had ever been done in, in comics before, you know, in the movie, I know he's played much more for comedic effect. He's not very intelligent, but it almost seems like he, you even leveled him up in terms of intelligence in, in your series. You really took him on quite a journey. What was it like working with, uh, with this character that kind of a fan favorite that, that, you know, was kind of blown up, uh, but you really took him in a different direction.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was a hard assignment because, um so basically like last may or april i got an email from dc and they were like hey we're gonna send you a file and you gotta watch it but we can't tell you what it is in an email i was like okay and i get this thing and it's called dorado and i was like what the hell's dorado so (laughs) i play a push play and it was suicide squad it was the suicide it was an early cut you know Mm -hmm. uh and so i watched it i was just i was like this was i loved it as i'm a james gunn fan i since you know tromos so obviously i was gonna like this movie but and then they said um the, then the email that followed up was like, can you come up with a story for King Shark? We all think he's going to blow up after this movie. So this is back in May. The movie doesn't come out until August. So mm-hmm. they're like, he's going to be the, a big hit. And so I, I went back and watched it again. And I was like, oh, you can't write a series about this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy. Because, uh, you know, he's hilarious. But, like, you know, he doesn't have. But I remembered um, I had the first appearance of King Shark. The, he was in Superboy. And, like, mm-hmm. 1994. Yeah. 94. Yep. So I went back and dug that out. And then I I remembered he was in um, Aquaman time, not time and tide uh, sort of Atlantis series. Um, And so I dug back for those things that I had read and just was like, okay, I've got to synthesize all the versions of him into something that will appeal to people and also like add a bunch of new stuff. Like you said, I had to come up with something that would add something to him. But I really like the dynamic of Ratcatcher 2 and uh, King Shark in uh, the movie. And so I and I obviously I have some experience with uh, girls and monsters. And so uh, I grabbed Defacer from uh, my Nightwing run because Tom wasn't using her and just was like, I'm going to put these two together and I'm going to put them on this like emotional journey (laughs) of redefining king shark but i've got to make it crazy and so then i also remembered one of my favorite toy lines from the 80s which was called battle beasts which was uh these little animal guys and they had like little symbols on their chest and they were like originally part of transformers but they were animal warrior dudes and they fought each other so it's was like it's gonna be that it's gonna be battle beasts <laughs> but <laughs> but it's gonna be king shark is like and then you find out like he was always he was made this to fight in this battle this this is why he exists is mm-hmm. that he is this representative of the realm and it's all come together uh, and so, just I just I told DC how crazy can I go, and they said sky's the limit. And they're like, you've seen Suicide Squad, it's crazy. So I just went as nutty as I could, and just you know, they let me use Bawana Beast uh, and <laughs> like all this crazy stuff. And uh, I had a blast doing it. I think Scott Collins, it's like the best work of his career, and that's saying a lot. And uh, you know, and like we just committed to it. The, the, it's played relatively straight i mean you know we, we treat it like a real hero's journey and and even though he fights guys called meerkat master and whatever it's 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 like a played for straight superhero fight epic basically
0: yeah and that's the thing that really struck me about it i don't think it was until maybe issue four for me so it would have been set seven and eight i think of the digital where it really came together and i was like oh my god this is so much more than i thought it was going to be because at first it just seemed like okay you're going to just throw all these guys together and it wasn't grounded like kind of emotionally with with much um but then yeah after i read the fourth issue i went back and i reread like one through three and then i when six came out i went i read six and then i went back and read one through six again so i mean some of the issues i've read three times um i i just thought that the way you played that relationship of the facer and king shark like he, he's such a hard character to relate to. I mean, this is a shark that's been turned into a human, right? And you're bringing a lot more, like I said, intelligence to him that he's had before. And certainly more than the movie, but there's no way to really relate to him uh, necessarily, but it's like the way defacer relates to him. If we can relate to defacer, we like relate to him by proxy. So I thought that relationship worked so well. How hard was that to get right? Did, did it, come together really easily for you was that a challenge going back as, as you are writing the issues to to kind of get that balance right
1: no because i knew well so there's a, a way that i usually write which is um it's like driving in the fog at night which is i have the headlights on and i can see right in front of me and i know where we're going but right in front of me just before that and right before we get there i don't know <laughs> but i knew the last line which the last line between the the two of them was going to be you finally have a friendship you can't blow up that was (laughs) i knew that was going to be the last line so the the thing was going to be you know that the facer spent her whole life sort of like when she gets people too close to her she destroys it that was her whole thing and king shark is the opposite that was the way i want to play it was that he's an animal And, and so like a lot of things that as humans would kind of ruin your relationship for him, doesn't do it. Like he keeps coming back to her, even though, you know, she's, she does a lot of terrible things to him, but he knows her in a way that, you know, the way your dog knows you. And and like, you know, he sees her soul, I guess, in a way that other people don't, they see this sort of exterior that she puts out and and she's kind of a mess. And, and, you know, Uh, so I knew that that was the final line. So I figured if all I had to do was, as long as I sort of made their relationship about this kind of escalating loyalties where she would try to push him away but she kept coming back to him and then you know he would sort of be the victim of her her self-destruction and and he would be you know casualty of it but he would he would keep coming back to her and that would be interesting and that 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 that's me you know it was sort of based on my relationship with my wife because when I we first started dating she just you know she would get every couple months she would just be like I can't be in this relationship now we're married so it doesn't matter but like (laughs) But she, you know, th- that idea that sometimes people, I-, I just know people who, you know, letting someone too close is, is death, right? It's like, you've given someone the ammunition to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so you try to run and that's to face her for sure. And she did it to Dick Grayson. And, you know, I had played up her personality there. And I just really liked that King Shark would be, you know, like of all the things you can say about him. He's always a good friend, right like he he and and that's not something I completely originated i felt like people kind of were bringing that around to him in other stories and and obviously that was sort of a a thing that James saw in him as well um so yeah it, I knew what it was gonna be, and so I just let it kind of meander through this giant monster fight <laughs> you know. Whatever. yeah which- I knew the final scene also with the blood, I knew what that was gonna be too uh. So I just had to get like, you know, and I knew at the last page, I always knew the last page was going to be that uh, flash forward to the future.
0: Yeah, that was that was really cool. That was yeah. Uh graffiti boy. But but yeah, the other thing that it did is it, it uh, the payoff when she's sitting in the cafe and she's kind of having a, a group session, you know, therapy session with herself. And she gets that moment of realizing why King Shark is, is her friend because originally she thinks, oh, the reason you like me so much is because we both have this thing where we like rage out. Uh, and it, you pulled it back all the way from the first issue, wh- what she had said to Dick Grayson about, yeah. I just want somebody to like me for me. You know what I mean? I mean, that right there is so relatable. I think anybody who's ever, you know, gone through teenage years, dating, high school, that kind of stuff can can relate to that. So for me, that I think that was a moment where I was like, yes, this is something really bigger than the sum of the parts. And, and like you said, the Scott Collins art, I mean, yeah, he, he gets to go nuts.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, the thing with Scott stuff that people don't remember, like he draws big epic superhero stuff, but his stuff on Flash, the best stuff was like the you know, Wally and, and Liz stuff, right? Like the uh, or not Liz, uh, what's his? Linda. Name? Linda, sorry, thank you. <laughs> uh, but I knew that I could write relationship stuff for him to do. Um, and that scene, the one you're talking about where she's in the tiki bar and she has a, 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 you know, a therapy session with herself with a reflection of herself. I was like, that is something only Scott can pull off. It, Cause I knew he would get all those little nuances. Cause he, you know, I know he can draw like big Epic shit and that's something everybody knows, but like those little things, I mean, man, there's so many good little things. I, I hope people go back and read that books. I don't know, you know, I don't know Suicide Squad as a movie, though it's really big now, you know, kind of after the fact it came out at a weird time. It came out sort of as COVID cases were going back up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, you know, the comic was as huge as we wanted it to be, but I hope people go back and read it. Cause I do think I'm super proud of it. It comes together. It's, it is what it was meant to be. Uh, and Scott did some beautiful stuff. The colors are beautiful by John Cleese. It's, it's, it's a really, it's a nice package.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, it made me a fan of, of King shark. I, and not that I disliked him before, but I was, was kind of like a oh, King shark, you know, whatever it's like cool. And, him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was funny in the movie, but I, I didn't think I would ever be as invested in him. Um, and now I like, I would re, if somebody else was doing, if you, obviously if you did something else with King shark, I definitely would be there. If somebody else does something with King shark, I'd be there. Cause I'd be curious. Cause I'd like to see them, you know, in the hand, I'd like to see King shark in the hands of someone else that pulls from some of the stuff he did, because like I said, you really did kind of evolve him a little bit. I mean, that, that's the whole thing. Like he was bathed in that, you know, the, the, uh, the well the, of the, evolution. Yeah. The well of evolution. So yeah, he's, he's obviously much more intelligent, um, than portrayed in the movie. And I, you know, I'd like to see where that, where that goes and not just emotional intelligence, but, uh, kind of emotional intelligence as well. Cause yeah, yeah. like you said that, that, uh, relationship that, that can be broken. Uh, well, one more thing we got to talk about, uh, that just came out this last week that you're doing with Steve Orlando, which was an absolute blast. Um, you guys must be having a ton of fun loaded Bible. This is this sort of post-apocalyptic world where Vlad Dracula is, is the Pope, the red Pope. And we got a clone of Jesus that's going around kind of saving people and, and kind of, you know, opposed to that. Uh, this is just a wild and crazy world. So how the heck did you two guys come up with this crazy idea?
1: Well, this is a sequel to a comic I did uh, in two thousand four or five, I guess. Yeah, um, a long time ago. I did a, so when I first got when Hackslash first came out. Uh, the guys at Image were like, "Hey, what else do you want to do?" And I said, "I want to do Jesus fighting vampires." And Eric Stevenson went, "Okay." So I did. <laughs> I did this comic. Uh, Nate Belgard, uh drew it, and Jason Latour colored it. Um, I mean, we were all youngins. Uh, Robert Kirkman executive produced it uh and so three series three issues of that came out it was a double-sized book so it's a, like a six issue series and um you know it was like a weird cult hit thing it came out the week that um there were some charlie hebdo cartoonists were killed um over the muslim cartoon mm-hmm. thing so when it came out it was like a big controversy i had to go on npr uh talk about portraying religions and comics uh so that <laughs> was an interesting time in my life but uh You know, it was just another project that I always really loved, but it was weird. And uh, obviously, Jesus fighting vampires is controversial. Um, And some people, uh, some stores wouldn't carry it. I remember that was a big deal. Uh, But in any case, a young one of the one of the readers of that book was a young fellow named Steve Orlando. Uh, And he was (laughs) in his teens. Um, And when I first met him, then, you know, it was like 10 years later. And uh, he and I were at the uh, D.C. summit. And he came up to me and was like, you know, I'm gonna do a sequel to *Load a Bible* someday. That's what he told me, and I was like, "Okay, good luck, man." <laughs> so, uh, but you know, he and I have always been—we we remain friends, and we work together. Uh, you know, uh, I did some stuff with him at Heavy Metal, and um, and so he put this together, and he got uh, Aranzio Studios, which is and Andolfo Studios. Uh, Mirka is the artist of uh, *Superman: Lobo*. Um, got them to put it together. And so Steve did all the hard work on this. I just did some of the uh, dialogue in the first issue, but it's Steve writing a sequel to my creator on book, uh, which is a crazy thing. And it's, it hasn't been done really to the way that we did it. I don't think before, um, but Steve was one that came to me with, he wanted to up the game and he, he was like, I want to put Dracula in it. So uh, it totally makes sense. You don't have to have read the first book. It will help, but you don't have to have read it. Uh, it's very, uh sort of reader new reader friendly it picks up a lot of themes it takes place 10 years after the first series um so yeah it should be pretty readable and uh coincidentally love Bunny, mr hell and loaded bible first appeared in the same anthology book in the year 2000 from dead dog press uh i was the editor so i did a love Bunny story and i did a loaded bible story so there you go they both <laughs> if you can find that book uh yeah <laughs> yeah
0: and here they are. Here they are uh, both again. Uh, well it, again, it's been fantastic catching up uh, with you, Tim. It's always great to, to chat. Um, do you have any other upcoming projects that, uh, that you want to tease anything you can talk
1: about? Let's see. Yes. I got lots. Um, uh, what else I got going on? I have, Oh, so West of Sundown comes out, uh, in three weeks. That's my, uh, horror Western with, uh, with, uh, Jim Terry and Aaron Campbell, um, and, uh, Trio O'Farrell. It's from Vault Comics. I'm really happy with that one. Uh, this week comes out um, Gwenverse, which is my uh, Marvel uh, Spider Gwen Ghost Spider uh, miniseries. You think it's going to be a multiverse story, but it's not. Uh, it'll mess with your head a little bit. And what else we got coming up? Um, mum, 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 mum. Oh, and then we're putting out the the next Hack Slash Kickstarter hardcover is going to be all the crossovers we've done uh, from with uh, Dynamite. Well, not all of them because we didn't have the rights to our, uh, Army of Darkness. But uh, it has Chaos and it has Evil um, uh, Ernie and it has Vampirella. And it's going to have all that cool stuff. And we did a new nice hardcover version of that too. Cool. Well, uh,
0: if anybody wants to follow you online and know when uh, that Kickstarter starts and all the rest of these books are dropping, uh, where's the best place to follow you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter at Hackin Tim Seeley and I'm on uh, Instagram at Tim Seely, And uh, you can always find me. I'm easy to find. Uh, You can always email me. I'm pretty uh, approachable. I try to be. So uh, hit me up with any questions.
0: Yeah. And again, everybody, I'll put a link to the Zoop campaign if you want to get your uh, extra fancy edition of (laughs) Love Buddy and Mr. Hell. And I'll put links to uh, Tim's uh, Twitter and Instagram in the show notes as well. So uh, again, Tim, uh, thanks so much for joining me. It's always great to catch
1: up. Thank Uh, you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, And to you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us as always. We appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next time.